0: Hello, and welcome to A Beatles Show, a weekly podcast talk show, which is called Things We Said Today. This is a program in which we talk about anything and everything that has to do with the Fab Four, their years together, their solo careers, their music, their albums, their history, any aspect of uh, Beatles history we can talk about here on the show. I'm Ken Michaels, I'm one of the regular co-hosts of this show. You might know me from my other radio program, a syndicated Beatles show called Every Little Thing. And uh, I'm being joined by my two other co-hosts. First of all, the man who uh, used to work at the New York Times, and he worked in their classical department. He was their Beatle guy there. Anytime there was an article to be written on the Beatles, it was written by him. And he's also gone on to write a few Beatles books. Most recently the ebook, Got That Something, How the Beatles I Wanna Hold Your Hand Changed Everything, and also The Beatles From the Cavern to the Rooftop. And that's our very own Alan Cozen. Hi Alan. Hello, Ken. Hello everyone. My other co host, he's been the leading Beatles newsman on the internet for decades now. Going from uh, the Abbey Road website to Beatles Examiner, more recently, AXS.com, AXS.com. He writes for Billboard, Variety, Goldmine. If they haven't hired him, then there's something wrong. Anyway, that's Steve Maranucci. Hi, Steve.
1: Hi, Ken. Hello, everyone.
0: On today's show, we're going to be reviewing one of the Beatles albums, and that's their Beatles for Sale album. But before we do that, we always like to start off the show if we have news items to get to them. And we've got uh, several to start the show with. First of all, uh, very happy news. We were hoping this would happen here in the States because the Beatles animated film Yellow Submarine is going to be shown in the UK. We heard about that, but now we've heard it's going to be shown in movie theaters in the U.S. starting July the 8th. And Steve, I know you wrote an article in Billboard. About that, you want to tell the folks more?
1: Mm-hmm. Actually, the well, the dates are going to be um, different all over the country. They haven't announced the – they haven't put up the uh, the actual dates yet, um, but they'll be different in different cities, and the lengths of the engagements will be different. I believe the um, dates will be posted around the 17th. Um, the website is yellowsubmarine.film. Uh, and that's where, and that's where actually where the British stuff is now, but the um, the American stuff will be there too. And actually, it's all North America; it's not just the U.S. Mm-hmm. So, and it's going to have a, it's supposed to have a uh, a new 4K uh, digital upgrade and a a new, you know, audio upgrade as well. People have been kind of wondering about that because you know the fact that I don't think so. Um, well, yeah, because the, the DVD had had was made from 4K, but...
2: Um, and also, the audio upgrade is, it's the mix by Peter Cobbin, and Peter Cobbin mixed the 1999 one, and everything they've done since then has been Giles so you have to assume that if they were mixing it anew they probably would go to Giles for it since he's now their go-to guy um right. and that when you Ooh. see Peter Cobbin's credit you kind of have to assume that that's the 1999 remix
1: mm-hmm. which is actually a great remix because yeah. that that, that uh, we you know we saw that and it, it was absolutely fantastic, especially the end with uh, It's All Too Much is just that's that's one to die for. You have to see that. So mm. and hear that.
0: So And I've also read that the um the actual digital cleanup for the film was done by hand and frame by frame. Well and they did
2: of, that uh, but isn't that the same d- as nineteen ninety nine too? I mean well,
1: they also did, did that they? for D V yeah. they also did that for the D V D i mean that was the bl- the blu-ray that's that was all part of that i mean what this seems to to be is just a, a you know bringing it to the screen period you know so you know in other words just celebrating the 50th anniversary by showing it in the theaters but, but it should be
0: a better digital print right
1: not necessarily i mean uh, you would you would it's, like it to be but it's saying um, a new 4k digital right. restoration
2: no, I, I agree. And that's I'm not sure th- it was 4K in 1999. You know? I don't remember people talking about 4K. In no, it wasn't 4K in
1: 1999. The Blu-ray was for, was taken from the 4K, though. That, because I went back to mm-hmm. sources, and I went back and asked for a clarification on that one. So, mm-hmm. But anywho, so there we go. But it, it is coming back into the theaters. That's the big news.
0: And so far, there's no news about a reissue on DVD or Blu-ray.
1: There doesn't look like there's going to be one because this is not a, it's not something they've redone since, so I don't expect that to happen.
2: Is it not still in print?
1: Yes, it's still in print. I'm pretty sure it's still in print. Yeah.
2: I think this. I think the deal here is that this is just to celebrate the 50th anniversary.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. That's really that's really all it is. So.
2: Okay. But it's still good news anyway. <laughs>
1: yep. Yeah, it's Nothing fun like to see that in on... the theater. Yeah, Yeah, it is. That's where I first saw
0: it. Okay. Also, we have news about Julian Lennon. Um, As we've mentioned before, he just released his second children's book, which is called Heal the Earth. This is the follow-up to his book called Touch the Earth, and it's geared towards children. It's all about the importance of our environment and protecting the planet. And he's been making the rounds lately. He was um, in New York City at Barnes & Noble signing books. And he was also interviewed by Dennis Elsis there uh, to talk about the book. And in addition to that, he was on the TV show called The Chew. He was in uh, L.A.
1: Too. He, did, he also signed in L.A. too.
0: Right. Okay. And, but the big news is that um, in addition to this book coming out, the company Gomont has made a deal to make Julian's book trilogy into an animated TV series. So um, Julian and his uh, collaborator, the illustrator, Bart Davis, they will serve as executive producers for the series. We don't have any projected release date for it, but that's great news. And the ironic thing about this company, GoMont, it's the same company that Paul McCartney is working with for his uh, full-length animated film, High in the Clouds. So uh, that's kind of a coincidence right there.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And Julian was also on that internet program that I mentioned in the last show called Build. It was a half-hour show um, that you can get only on a particular website called buildseries.com. So good news there for Julian. And as we know more about the the TV series, we'll let you know. There's also news about uh, new reissues of Paul McCartney's catalog. It was just announced that four of his titles are being reissued on cd also 180-gram vinyl, and then 180-gram colored vinyl as well. And that's for the titles for New, Chaos and Creation in the Backyard. This is a big surprise to me. Wings Greatest. And also, another surprise, Thrillington. (laughs) Well, I think
1: think the surprise is that these are even coming out at all because they're all just single CDs, and really the only attraction is the colored vinyl. I mean, I I don't see – I mean – Certainly there are people going to be interested, but I mean, there really isn't much here to, to worry about, you know. Uh, these are not new mixes, uh, unfortunately, and there's no extra material. So, um, How much but, more of so
2: did you want? No.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I didn't, really.
2: I didn't know. Yeah, I know. I mean why you know, it is kind of funny that that on the BBC lately Richard Hewson has uh reappeared and um oh. you know, talking really about his orchestration for Long and Winding Road and how Paul was upset and not mentioning Thrillington at all. And um but he was the one who arranged and conducted Thrillington. Doesn't I don't think he gets a credit on the album, but he was the right. So it's, it's funny that he's sort of reemerged in a Beatles context, but, but without the context of the album that's being reissued now.
0: Right. Yeah. It's also something that Paul had no hard feelings against Richard Euston, I guess,
2: mm-hmm. if he
0: hired him to, to work on Thrillington.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So there you go. But also it's important to mention these titles because it brings it back into the catalog, if it was ever out of print. I don't know if Wings Greatest remained in print. But when you consider the fact that you had all the the compilations that followed, you had all the best, you had Wings, uh, I mean, um, Wingspan, and most recently, Pure McCartney, why the need to bring back Wings Greatest? When all the songs that are on there, you can find in the other compilations.
2: Yeah. So, maybe, maybe there are some people who probably have some sentimental connection with Wings Greatest from when it came out and, you know, would just like to have a new a fresh vinyl copy? I don't
0: know. Right. And also, as one of my listeners pointed out to me, um, Wings Greatest has the full version of Junior's Farm,
2: Mm.
0: which didn't appear in Wingspan and also in Pure McCartney, although it was in the remastered Venus and Mars as a bonus track. So, there you go. But uh, just nice to know that the catalog is being reissued just to keep everything in print. And uh, that'll tide us over until we get more news about Paul, his new album, his next new album, and the next remaster, which we still haven't heard anything about.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Also, news about the Ed Sullivan shows coming out reissued on uh, DVD. Now, several years ago, there was uh, a two-DVD collection of the Ed Sullivan shows when the Beatles were on it, and they were the complete episodes. And it was really fun to watch because she not only had the Beatles, but all the other artists, all the other performers that were in those shows, and you even had the commercials from those shows.
2: But not all. And
0: them. really?
2: Yes, the cigarette commercials were taken out. Aha! Uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> you remember? You, you've probably them. you've probably seen <laughs> before they came out. You probably have seen videotapes of the whole shows. Where remember Kent? Brought to you by Kent with the Micronite filter. You can, uh-huh. yeah. It's gone. I don't know about the, the reissue. I don't know if they've put them back, but I, I kind of would doubt it. Okay. Well, it is
0: being re-released now, um, all four shows in their entirety, except for the cigarette commercials, I guess. Uh, well, we'll see. Um, and that's on May the 25th. That's from Sofa Entertainment and Universal. Anybody want to comment on this?
1: Well, it it should be mentioned and should be underlined that these are not Blu-rays. They're just the way it's described is these are just digital digital video upgrades in the regular DVDs. So there's there's no and it's interesting because as I commented to somebody this morning, the Beatles shows did not look bad. They looked actually pretty good. Now the Elvis shows because of their age. Mm. You know, 56 and 57 did look especially the the earliest ones did look pretty worn and those could use some real touch ups it'll be interesting to see what they've done to the Beatles show though um, but the Beatles show never looked that bad I, I should also mention that there's not going to be any new material in any of these um, The the only new thing from what I can gather is the Elvis performances only I don't believe that that has been out before rather than just the full shows but the Elvis great performances has been out before that was actually out as a three DVD set um, but they've shrunk it down to two but they haven't taken anything out and then the the Supremes and the Temptations are two single DVDs a piece yeah that
0: should be fun because they were both on the show a lot
1: you Mm -hmm. know I, I you know I don't have I have the Elvis ones uh, or I have m- most of the Elvis ones. I have the the Ed Sullivan one, and I have the the great performances. I don't have the um, the Supremes and the Temptations ones, but yeah, those should be fun because, uh, especially with the Supremes, you know, they changed from you know they they evolved from being just a a, a little known singing group at the beginning to these megastars, you know, at the end. You know, fronted by Diana Ross, and and uh, so, but yeah, that's that's going to be fun, and and I mean, if you haven't seen the Beatles ones, the Beatles uh, set is a must for anybody that's listening to the show. You have to have that because you need to see the way they looked, you know, uh, on those shows
2: in context.
1: Uh, in context, I mean. right? And and there's a lot of. I mean, among the people on those shows, there's Frank Gorshin. There's um,
0: Davy Jones. That Davy person. Jones, that's right? Yeah, I, I,
1: that's right too. Davy Jones is on there as part of the cast of Oliver. Mitzi there's Gaynor. Uh, Mitzi Gaynor, who I never <laughs> liked. <laughs> Tessie, Tessie O'Shea. That song, <laughs> that song that, that Mitzi Gaynor did has stuck in my head forever. I remember hearing it that night, and uh, uh, it was the second their second appearance and I still haven't gotten that thing out of my head Tessie did I say Tessie O'Shea Tessie O'Shea Morkum mm-hmm. and wise right uh who the Beatles appeared with uh Cilla black is on one of the shows mm-hmm. uh, soupy sales yeah that's right you gotta ha- you gotta have the mouse. gotta have the mouse. yes um yeah I'm a, I'm a big fan of soupies and that you know that's cool that he's and there were a lot uh, uh, senior Wences should I do a that <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Do you watch? Uh, do
0: you watch um, on the Decades channel? They have you know half hour.
1: We don't um, get we don't get Decades here. Um, Directv has a uh, Fetv, which has Perry Mason and all sorts of things. TJ Hooker and started running the monkeys on the weekend, which which was kind of a shock. Yeah. Uh, but no, we don't have the Decades channel, unfortunately.
0: Uh, I get a big kick out of watching that show now, whenever I can. The mine.
1: Sullivan Show. Oh, is it on there? Is it, it's all Yeah, it's okay.
0: Yeah, it it's broken down. It's to just half hour shows.
1: Yeah, the the only thing about watching those shows, the way they've broken them down over the years is, again, it's out of context, and they they insert a lot of graphics that you didn't see originally. Uh, it would be nice if they did what, for example, the Tonight Show did recently in the last couple of years, and put them out as the shows were, because that was. You know, that was the really, nice, as as they've done with the Beatles and Elvis. And and, and well, by the way, one release that isn't being reissued here that I'm really surprised about is the Rolling Stones, because they also did a Rolling Stones one. And the Rolling Stones one actually was kind of interesting because they put it out in several versions. the The most widely available one was the four Rolling Stones show, but they also put out A six Rolling Stones show that if you look on Amazon right now is very expensive because it got a a limited release, apparently. It was always more expensive than the others. And why they didn't put out the full six shows as the release itself, I, I never understood. But there is the Rolling Stones one out there, and hopefully they'll reissue that. And hopefully they'll put the whole six shows out of that. Because those are, uh, you know, those are obviously really good because, again, you have the stones from their first appearances to later on in in, uh, 67, 68, when, you know, Jagger was all dressed up in psychedelic clothes and all this. And they were, I think, actually... uh, um, Mick Taylor had had come into the group by the time the last appearance had come around. So, mm. so, anyway.
2: so before we get too far um, into the Stones, we have yes. like at least four more items oh. of news. <laughs> okay. Sorry, sorry
1: about that. I didn't mean to take that take that off to, uh, off of a off into a tangent. There's okay. also there's also the Mojo. Uh, Mojo is issuing two red and blue issues that they've that you can get through them, and they're usually on uh, at Barnes and Noble. Uh, here about a month after they, they get issued. The, there's the uh, the photo of Paul and Willie Nelson that came out on Instagram. Ken, I'm surprised you didn't mention that that might have been linked to the uh, to the news about McCartney, about the uh, new album, which is... What news? <laughs> well, I mean, the eventual news. I mean, when you saw that photo, did you not think that maybe Willie Nelson might be involved with Paul's album? Not
0: really. It could just okay. be something that, that took place over the last few days it was on instagram and uh willie nelson's son took the picture they could have been just jamming
2: together for the fun of it maybe maybe they were writing a song for dolly parton (laughs)
1: there you go
2: because it was a dolly parton item too right was Uh, it one of you posted a thing about how much you hate tmz but yet they had this thing about paul and dolly parton having dinner
1: Oh, oh right, I okay. saw that. That's right too. Paul and Dolly Parton. That had nothing to do with this picture. At least I don't think it did. Did it?
2: Not that we know of. But who knows? Who
1: knows? <laughs> Let's start rumors. Let's Two start country TMV. stars
2: and Paul. Hey, you know.
1: Let's start TMZ
0: rumors. Paul making a country album. That's it. Yeah,
1: there we go.
0: There
1: <laughs> we go. Um, also,
0: there's the news about Derek Taylor's book, As Time Goes By, being reissued.
1: Yes, it's on. That's on Amazon now. Uh, it was uh, came out uh, four days ago on the fifth. Um, I have it, I have the date as May fifth, April fifth. No, it's out. And that's a good book. Okay, on, that's on Amazon
0: book. it listed as May. So,
2: Derek was really a great writer, and uh, and and he wrote quite a bunch of books. I mean, in uh, there the, was the Genesis one, of course, that has the commentary from George. But as as time goes by, was earlier, and really just sort of looked over his career, which was an incredible career. I mean, the the people that he represented, apart from when he worked with the Beatles at the beginning and end of the Beatles era, uh, included, you know, the Birds, the Beach Boys, um, you know, just... Paul Revere and the Raiders. Yeah, and, and then he did, he was involved in Monterey Pop. Uh, mm-hmm. and and he discusses all of this in this book in that inimitable Derek Taylor style. you know th- this is a guy whose voice you can hear as you read his book right and uh, I was lucky enough to get to know him a bit um towards the end of his life. Um, I think the first time I might have interviewed him might have been in like nineteen eighty seven when around the time of the the Pepper special that he put together. Uh, for Granada TV and and then later when the anthology was about to be televised and I spent my week or whatever it was in London Derek was my minder you know so I spent a lot of time with Derek Derek keeping me out of trouble and also sitting in on some of the interviews here and there but uh he was just a great guy I was really very sad when he died
1: how would Derek keep you out of trouble
2: um, You know, he, you wouldn't want me, for instance, wandering around the Apple offices by myself, right? So Derek was always with me <laughs> uh-huh. when I was in that building. So, uh, yeah. Or if he left me with someone else, that would be me. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, you definitely had the feeling of, like, having a, a minder in a way. But, I mean, he he did it really well because you know we'd go out to lunch and we'd talk about all kinds of stuff and uh you know he was just really he was really incredible i mean uh and he's definitely you know there was a huge hole in there when he wasn't involved with the beatles directly but he really is part of their story i mean he ghosted brian's book too he he ghosted cellar full of noise Right, mm-hmm. so um, and I, I think really, anybody interested in this should read uh, as time goes by. It's a paperback, it's not expensive, and it's full of really great stuff, so I just thought I'd put it mm. in my two cents hey, worth thank there.
1: you yeah, and it, and it is out now, by the way. I, I just double checked but uh, but i had i uh had written about it, so yeah, it's definitely out now, and it's, in, it's in, you can also get it in digital too uh, yeah. on Kindle.
0: Hmm.
2: Are there transcriptions anywhere of your interview or interviews with Derek? Um, probably Beetle fan published them at the time as QAs. Um, okay. Yeah, I think they did. But not online? No, sadly. Okay. Okay.
0: And <laughs> finally, um, there's news about, uh, well, we know more about the TV series on Brian Epstein being developed based on uh, the fifth Beatle. The Vivek Tawari book, and you wrote an article on that. Yes,
1: the- I did. I, I interviewed the woman who is going to be the uh, executive producer, J- Jenna S- Santuiani. And I had trouble saying that when I was talking to her. <laughs> it was just embarrassing for an Italian to really not be able to say another Italian thing. But she and I talked for uh, about a half hour and, and at this point it's still a long ways off. There's a lot of things they're still working on. They do have a script um, and they do have as we all know uh, Lennon McCartney songs, they have the rights to that. Um, but the story talks about what they're, it gives kind of an early idea of what they're looking at doing uh, and how the, the uh, story is going to be put on the screen. It will be live action. That's one thing that I've heard many times from them and they you know, they made a point to say make sure you say it's live action and it's not going to be a graphic novel. It's not going to be animated. That's not to say they may or may not use images from the graphic novel but they don't know yet what they're going to do. They're, they're still a ways off in developing how it's going to work and it's going to be, I would say a, a while. I don't want to even give uh, you know any kind of a timeline because I don't know it and they don't know it of when it's going to come out. So,
0: well, when I spoke to Vivek at the fest a month ago, he said not until at least next year.
1: Well, uh, they they were even being less less definite with me on the phone. I mean, Miss Centi uh, wouldn't even pin it da- that far down. So that may. I don't know that they know. I really don't. Mm. Okay. I mean, I hope it's next year. You know, uh, it's been so long in coming. I mean, there's been so many hurdles and and things that they that have happened. You know, where it you know it ended up. It started being a, a movie, and and then it now it's moved to television. The one thing that they did that she did talk about in the story was why television made a better. Um, home fit. for, yeah, than the movies because you don't have to fit it up, fit it in one episode, you know, so,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and you can, and the story can, can move a little better. So, but we'll see. I mean, it's, it's still a ways to go, still a ways off. All right.
0: Well, there's something there to look forward to. And so why don't we move on to our main topic for the show, and that's reviewing the Beatles' fourth album called Beatles for Sale. This was their follow-up to A Hard Day's Night. And there's a lot of things that have been said about Beatles for Sale in recent years and if you read a lot of the the lists that have come up come up online of best albums from the Beatles or best to worst, usually Beatles for Sale ends up being somewhere at the bottom of the barrel there. And maybe we should talk about whether or not that's a fair. Um, assessments of the album or not, but I know that there are some people that look at the album as being somewhat of a disappointment because their previous album, A Hard Day's Night, was all original material, 13 songs, all Lennon McCartney songs, and when they recorded Beatles for Sale, they went back to the formula of the first two albums, which was eight original songs and six cover versions of songs. So when you look back at this album now do you just think it's a natural progression of what the Beatles went through? Did you think it was an upgrade in any way from a hard day's night or was it somewhat of a disappointment? Why don't we start with you,
2: Alan? Okay. Um, I wouldn't say it was an upgrade. I'm not sure I would say it was a disappointment either. Uh, In terms of it being towards the bottom of the list, I mean, I kind of agree with that. But the thing is that if you're going to have a list with the top and the bottom, something has to be down there. You know, and Beatles for Sale is as good a candidate as any. But there's, you know, a lot to be said about the stuff on this album. Um, Yes, it's true that going back to the 8 and 6 format for the last time... Did seem a disappointment after Hard Day's Night, but another thing that seemed, in a way, maybe not a disappointment but a startling, after a Hard Day's Night is that Hard Day's Night was just so bright and energetic and you know hard driven and like out there. It was an explosion of it. It was as if, as if they were saying after their first two albums and their you know tours. That took them to the US. They hadn't gone to Australia yet, but they had, you know, they'd had the success that they wanted. And it's Hard Day's Night was like, hey, we made it. And Beatles <laughs> for Sale strikes me as after the summer tour um, of '64, even though they started it before they left. I think it, it sounds to me like between the lines, they're saying, this really is tiring being out there on tour, going all over the world. It's like it's beginning to take it out of us. And so you see a lot of self-doubt in, you know, things like I'm a loser. And um, it just seems... A little more down to me this album as a whole and even though there are things like eight days a week which you know could is everything i said about hard days night applies to eight days a week it's like it's bright it's out there it's great it's fun but a lot of it has a more sort of down feeling in in a certain way and i listened to the uh I took out my british final played it yesterday and uh <laughs> you know and i was trying to figure out exactly why I feel that way. And there's, I guess, that run of I'm a loser, Babies in Black. But then it goes to rock and roll music. Um, mm-hmm. So it's up and down, but I don't think there was as much down before this. I do want to mention the um, the cover because, you know, the cover is, especially in those days, really a big part of an album's package. If you look at the, uh, at this cover... On the front, you've got this very sort of autumnal picture of them. But you've got George with the point on his hair that that Robert Freeman seemed to have liked so much, and uh, you know, Ringo's got a scarf on. It's it's it it kind of captures in a way that feeling of you know it's not spring or summer anymore. It's it's uh, you know we're we're chilling out a bit. On the back is the cover that. We in the U.S. know as the cover of Beatles sixty-five. Uh, it's, not, it's not Beatles sixty-five. Um, early Beatles. Beatles. Um, yeah, you know. Again, autumn. They look at all the leaves around them that are, you know, a bit green but also brown. But no songs mentioned. You know, you have to open up the album, and you, which you know you couldn't do till you got home, I guess. Well, I don't know if in, in Britain did they use shrink wrap in those days? I'm not sure. Maybe not. I think I think they did. <laughs> yeah. There's no picking up the album looking on the back and saying, "Oh yeah, I like No Reply. I'll get this one." You know, it's a, it's uh a, this is our album. You can take it on faith, you know. And then inside you've got this like black and white double spread where you've got the songs, you've got uh, some notes about who's doing what, you know, No Reply, Double Track, John, Occasionally Paul, Paul, George, join both on the chorus. In the center, between the list for what's on side one and side two, you have an essay by the late, great Derek Taylor, who we were just talking about. And uh, then you see a performance shot of them. All the pictures, I guess, are by Robert Freeman, and across from it there's this interesting picture of the beatles in front of all of these sort of victorian kind of pictures i'm not sure exactly what that's about uh you know you've got (laughs) george leaning into the armpit of an actress and you know these these you've got guys with guns on horses that look like they're uh Desert of the Middle East, and, um, you know, and then you see a vaudeville pair up in the the right side top. So, you know, it's just, a, it, it, it's really a fascinating production all around, you know, the music and the cover, and it all, for me, seems to fit together really well. So, mm. not sure what yeah. else to say. Hmm?
0: Well, I like what you said about songs having more down moments, not necessarily more down than up. But you start the album with three very down songs mm-hmm. about relationships that have failed. Right. And yet at the same time, there is growth in the songwriting.
2: Oh, definitely. Because, uh,
0: you know, you look at something like I'm a loser, which I know you know a lot of people point to You've Got to Hide Your Love Away as being, you know, like the first Dylan-esque song from John. But I, I point to I'm a loser in that regard. Mm-hmm. Very introspective stuff. And I like the fact that, like, in a song like Babies in Black, there's a third person there in the song, kind of like She Loves You, in that's a way.
2: Right, yeah.
0: You know, but that's interesting. It wasn't like a one-on-one relationship there that you're writing about. Right. You know, it's not about necessarily you're not getting along with your girlfriend or, or she's not getting along with you. There's a third person involved. So that adds that kind of element
2: to it. But, um and then you yes. get back to the down stuff towards the end of the album where you've got, you know, I don't want to spoil the party, so I'll go, right. you know, and and then followed by what you're doing, you know, which is uh, Paul saying, you know, you think about what you're doing to me here, you know. Mm-hmm. And there's the country aspect on this album, which is stronger than, you know, we... we may not have known at the time how much they were into country in their formative years as as one of the many influences, but it really comes out a lot on this album. Yeah. I mean,
0: it's one thing to do the Carl Perkins songs,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know, but it's another thing to insert it into the original songs, like I'm a loser
2: as a real, you know, country and Western rockabilly feel to it. And I'll follow the sun, old as that was, that song. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hmm, Okay. Uh, Steve, what about uh, your thoughts on Beatles for well, Sale? Well, I
1: have I have a little bit of a different take on this. Um, I see the album as a whole as a kind of an experiment because, especially coming after a Hard Day's Night with all the screaming and the you know and the teen and the and the the whole Beatlemania aspect, mm. Beatles for Sale turns a little more serious. They get. They seem to start looking like. I, I don't want to say looking like adults, but that's really kind of the first thing I thought of because of they go right into no reply, and the words, you know, and the the opening lyrics. Uh, this happened once before I came to your door. No reply. They said it wasn't you. I saw P- you peek through your window. I nearly died. That's not. She loves you. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. You know, and yeah. I mean that's that's quite a that's quite a change from that. And I think and, and although the whole album doesn't go that route, there's a little bit of going back and forth on this album that way. I mean, you know, you have rock and roll music, which besides being a Chuck Berry cover, is also kind of a a, a, a retro back to the Cavern, you know, uh, Hamburg, even Hamburg. You know, and you have, I mean, you have a variety of song styles here. You have I'm a Loser, which really kind of goes beyond what he said in Help. It's another extension of, you know, of, uh, you know, of Help. I mean, it's another extension of He hadn't had Help
2: yet, so Help is an extension of it.
1: Okay. All right. Right, right. All right. The Babies in Black has beautiful harmonies. All, All of the Sun seems to foreshadow yesterday. Um, although it's not as good as that, I think it does. Mr. Moonlight is one that I could probably live without and actually I was listening to uh, an outtake of it uh, this morning and I actually thought the outtake was better because they were having a little fun with it. I think they probably took it a little too seriously and I think it would have been more fun if they hadn't. you know uh, eight days a week is is you know the is a classic is is you know one of their biggest hits ever and I think it's a, it's a great song. Kansas City is Paul. Singing his butt off, as you know, like Little Richard. "Honey Donut is a great uh, country tribute to Carl Perkins, and and I it made it actually made me wonder how they ever decided what songs Ringo was going to sing. I mean, he got uh, "Honey not would have been great for George to sing. I mean, that would have been you know, and of course he does. Everybody's trying to be my baby at the end. Uh, well,
0: John John used to sing "Honey not
1: right? It, it's just a, a question of. Why, you know, why give that one to Ringo? Why didn't they let John do it? You know, why didn't they give Ringo something well, they probably else? Probably
2: needed Ringo. They needed a song for Ringo to sing. They hadn't written him one, so right, right, you know, right. But
1: I mean, it, it, why, you know? Maybe it was his was choice. That, that's possible too. We we don't know. We don't know. Words of Love is a a, a great uh, Buddy Holly, you know, uh, song. Um, Every little thing could have been a Buddy Holly song. Mm-hmm. It it, it sounds it almost sounds like one. I don't want to spoil the party. Is I think is a, is actually I like I don't want to spoil the party a little better than eight days a week. Maybe because the words are a little better. What you're doing is another kind of Buddy Holly type, Lennon McCartney song, and everybody like I said everybody's trying to be my baby. It's just, it's great, and that's. Uh, you know, it's if George had to have a, a really good song uh, on that album, uh, that's it, because uh, it's it's uh, a fantastic version that he does, and he he looks like he's having a blast singing it. But it it, it overall, though, uh, I, I really see this as kind of an experiment. Part of it worked, part of it didn't, and also, Alan, I'm surprised you didn't mention the title of the album, Beatles for Sale. Mm-hmm. I mean that that really. That says a lot there. I mean, they were in a way they were kind of protesting the way that they were being marketed and that, you know, that they were and, and they, you know, they had the grumpy faces on the cover.
2: You know, there's
1: there's so much there's so
2: much there. That might be a stretch. <laughs> you think
1: so? Yeah. Well, I, I, I've I've heard that. I've seen people say that before about the grumpy faces on the cover i'm not i mean I, i'm not going to necessarily buy that but it, it goes into the serious the whole serious aspect of the album of getting away from the you know from the fab four type and and, and growing up a little bit that in,
2: that I, in terms of getting away from the fab four type what, what would you think about this album as a kind of you know alternative universe where you know you look at no reply, I'm a loser, Babies in black, uh, I don't want to spoil the party, what you're doing, and you're thinking, wait a minute, these are the Beatles. I don't think they have that kind of girl problem. You know what I mean? They have yeah. women, women flinging themselves
1: at them. Well, that's absolutely true. But who's to say that Lennon and McCartney couldn't imagine...
2: Oh sure, you they know. could imagine it. I mean, the history of pop song is 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 that, and and they were masters of pop song. It's just that when you listen to it, you're thinking, wait a minute, wait a minute. I don't think the reality is quite like that. You know, no, maybe that's, back that's, when they were teenagers.
1: <laughs> that that's true, but I mean, look at the songs on the album, though mm-hmm. they're all relatively except for maybe uh, everybody's trying to be my baby is is the closest thing to a to a she loves you type song really you know isn't it i mean all the others uh, are are somewhat serious
2: uh, yeah everybody's trying to be so- my baby actually even though they didn't, they didn't write it really more reflects the reality of what their life was at the time
1: right Right, but but the and the other songs are a lot more serious. It's that serious turn, except for Kansas City. I think you know you got to make an exception there because I mean it was a that was a straight out uh, Little Richard cover. But you know uh, it it just seems like there was kind of a, a little bit of a turn on this album, uh, a little well, bit away from the from the the boyish Beatles to a more adult Beatles.
0: Well, so. that's the fun thing about them is to notice an evolution <laughs> with every album, whether you think it's growth in them as a band, I still think there's growth yeah. on this album. And the thing is, you know, I think a lot of people might look as cover versions and not take them seriously, because we all, one of the reasons why we love the Beatles so much is because of all the original songs that they came up with and, you know, what great songwriters they are, but um, their cover versions are just dynamite. And so if the cover versions are really good, I mean, I'm just saying because, you know, a lot of people consider this to be a disappointment after A Hard Day's Night. You know, for someone like myself, because I was exposed first to the American albums where everything was kind of diluted, you didn't really understand how everything was happening happening chronologically Mm -hmm. and accurately the way it was in England. But once you go from A Hard Day's Night to Beatles for Sale and you've got all this energy on a hard day's night every song is Lennon mccartney it's like it's like alan said they arrived they made it and it shouldn't be looked at as a disappointment that they're doing a lot of covers here they only did it because they had a deadline to fill and they had they had to come up with some material and it was much easier for them to rely on songs that they've been doing since the 50s some of them and in hamburg so they could knock those out very quickly but some of these cover versions, like rock and roll music, to me, you know, my favorite of all the Beatles covers is, is Bad Boy. But I love rock and roll music. I mean, there's so much energy in that. Kansas City, hey, 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 great vocals from Paul, killer version right there. Words of love. I mean, the harmonies there from the Beatles, which it's, it just it gives you a, a little more depth in the song than, than Buddy Holly's version, though I love Buddy's version. Mm-hmm. I don't want to always compare the Beatles to the originals, because I love a lot of the originals, too. But, um, you know, Words
2: of Love, it is, the harmonies are just so wonderful. Yeah, it's like I, Everly it, Brothers do Billy, Buddy Holly. In a right,
0: way. right. Yeah. yeah. And then, like like we said, that country and western element, I Don't Want to spoil the Party, is one of the, the best examples of, of rockabilly for an original song from the Beatles, as is I'm a Loser to me. You know, great material here, all around, Everybody's trying to be my baby, and um, you know, I, I just like the fact that some of the songs are negative here. You got to see a foreshadow of what was to come, because there were a lot of negative songs that were written later on,
2: mm-hmm.
0: especially say in "Rubber Soul." Mm-hmm. You know, so it mm-hmm. kind of foreshadowed what was to come right there.
2: Right. But,
1: well, yeah. like I, again, like again, like I said, I I think it. You know, I, I still hold with what I said about it. Take them taking a, a little serious turn. I think that I think that this definitely. Uh, I'm not, and I'm not criticizing this album as being as being a disappointment. Although, I think some of the like I said, I think Mr. Moonlight is one song that is. But I think there's there's a lot happening here, and I think you have to look at it that way. Another thing too is if you go between. Um, the American albums at the time, which would have been Beatles 65 and Beatles 6, the songs that, that got used on those albums that didn't make Beatles for sale are kind of interesting. Um, you know, there, I mean, there's uh, uh, you know, I'll be back is not, is not there, um, but it's on Hard Day's you know. Night, right? But I'm, I'm, I'm saying, well, I mean, because. Oh, because
2: they we, had sliced it off hard day's night, right, but not yet put right. it on. I see. Yeah, right. Interesting.
1: So, I mean, there's uh, th- that too, and also the mixes were a little different. But in yeah. any event, yeah, I, I mean, there's there's some good stuff and some bad, some some okay stuff. But I think overall, this you know this thing works. I think it works.
2: There's some really guitar playing that. on it too. Um, there's another thing that struck me the other day, yesterday, when I was listening to it. You know, not that it's any guitar playing I hadn't been hearing all these years. But just listening to the album start to finish, I mean, Babies in Black is, you know, that guitar is very, he's he's using that whammy bar a bit, you know, to Mm -hmm. sort of get it uh, a a little sour, which um, suits the song perfectly. But also George is playing in Honey Don't and Everybody's Trying to Be My Baby. I mean, that is like... You know, move over Carl Perkins. Like, I have right. mastered the style. And, mm. uh, and it, it really, and, and plus, we have the roots of slide guitar, of Georgia slide guitar, and I'll Follow the Sun. Not quite. I the, never thought about it that way. But. Yeah, because it's not the kind of playing that we're used to hearing him do. He really, really, really developed it over the years. But this is the first example I can think of where it appears.
1: Interesting. Uh, no, I wouldn't have. I wouldn't have thought of that at all because it's not flat slide guitar, but it's. You're right. There is there is that similarity. Interesting.
0: I got a question.
1: Mm-hmm. What
0: is the problem that many people have with Mister Moonlight? I mean, it's often written up as being the worst song the yeah. Beatles ever recorded. And I honestly don't understand why. I mean, to open with John's vocals so yeah. powerful like that—it's—it's—it's yeah. it's, it's one of the great introductions <laughs> on a Beatles record, too.
2: I have uh, a theory. I think. <laughs> what's that? What? Uh, apart from the uh, dinosaur is thin on one end, thick in the middle. Um, <laughs> I think it's the Hammond organ. Mm. I think it's just that you know, because I was li- again, I was listening to it, thinking, okay, why do I consider? Mr. Moonlight sort of towards the bottom of the Beatles list because you do have that incredible vocal and it actually is a pretty tightly played track and it it was seemed fine and I thought well maybe it's that that Hammond organ isn't something that we're really used to hearing on a Beatle record I mean it came on again later but maybe maybe it's just that It, it just doesn't seem like the right sound you know and uh You know, later on, I think one reason people might find Mr. Moonlight disappointing is because if you know that they had a choice between that and Leave My Kitten Alone, I think a lot of people, including me, would have chosen Leave My Kitten Alone. Mm, Not me. But then, you see, here's the <laughs> thing, Leave My Kitten Alone became a famous outtake from these sections that people were clamoring and clamoring and clamoring for until, you know, Sessions was going to be released, and finally it was going to come out, and then it wasn't, came out on an Anthology. I kind of think if it was the opposite, if Leave My Kitten Alone was on this album, and we had heard that there was an outtake of Mr. Moonlight, we'd have all been clamoring for that.
0: Mm-hmm. I'm sure, I think the use of that organ gave the song more of a bossa nova type feel, which made it very different mm -hmm. for a Beatles record. Mm -hmm. Much the same way that, even though it wasn't released at the time, something like "Besame Mucho," (laughs) you know, was was an unusual song mm -hmm. for the Beatles to record. Although, look, the Beatles are all over the place musically, but I think um, you know that organ gave that song a different feel. And when you listen to, say, the Beatles at the Star Club version where you have george doing the lead guitar part doesn't work as well it really doesn't Hmm. so i think it was a a good choice i mean some people call it a cheesy sound that organ sound but i think it, it worked in this arrangement
1: now see i i think that's where my objection to the song lies is the is the rhythm it sounds too much like a calypso rhythm and it just and i don't think it fits the beatles very well i think that's where i think that's what i have a problem with the, it's not just the Hammond organ, though. It's it's the the chunky rhythm, you know. That's what I think bothers me. So. Well,
0: we have a difference of opinion there.
1: Mm-hmm. Also,
0: interesting how early on the Beatles were doing I'm a Loser in concert and they dropped it in favor of Babies in Black. Mm-hmm. And it seemed like, you know, they were very proud of Babies in Black. Was it because it was a waltz? What, you know, what was the reasoning? Why do you think that they liked that song so much to include it,
2: you know, on tour when they performed. Hmm. I think the fact that it was in three rather than four, as you say, the, the waltz uh, meter, uh, may have been a contributing factor just because it gave them, you know, a little bit of variety in terms of instead of having every song be in four, you have one breaking it out into three. Mm-hmm. You know, and and John okay. often mentioned, you know, this one's a waltz, and uh, that seemed to have been important to them. I guess. Huh. Any thoughts, Steve? Yeah, I know.
1: I, I don't think I can improve on that. I mean, it <laughs> would, it, the rhythm, I guess, on "I'm a Loser" probably was just didn't didn't work as well in concert as 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 Babies in Black did. Um, I
0: think they sounded great doing it live. "I'm a Loser." I mean, uh, to me, I'm a loser has the same feel as Help, even though Help was later. So I don't see what the problem was with I'm a loser. I'm just guessing here as to why they, they, went, they, ch- they changed to Babies in Black in concert.
2: But, here, here's another theory. With Help and Babies in Black, you know, the song starts and it goes continuously. With I'm a loser, they've got to sing, you know, the opening, I'm a loser, and stop. I'm a Mm -hmm. loser and stop. And with all that noise going on, maybe it was too complicated to, you know, they got to do the harmonies, come back in at the same time. And, and it's, you know, they didn't have stage monitors even. So, you know, maybe they decided to go for something that they just start and go continuously through without starts and stops. That's a good point because
0: Paul brought up the same thing for Nowhere Men. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm. Right? Did you say that about when they were doing the, the songs in uh, Japan? Mm. They were doing the song in Japan. I think, I think you said that about that. So that's a similar thing right there, starting with just vocals like that. Yeah. You know, it might have been a, a little bit difficult.
2: Yeah. So. You know, under normal conditions, if they were playing to a quiet audience, uh, you know, that would be one thing. But on the conditions they were playing under, I think, made... Uh, things like that a little more complicated than they needed to be, and uh, and and maybe they had that in mind. I mean, it's just a theory. I have I have no direct knowledge of it, but it makes sense. Okay,
0: mm-hmm. I've got one big question to ask the both of you,
1: Uh-oh.
0: and um...
1: <laughs> it was the you know, <laughs> really.
0: You know, we just said that Beatles for Sale, the reason why the Beatles had to do all the covers, because they were under a deadline, they were so busy in 1964. Well, you know, they were busy in 1965. They were still doing plenty of concerts. They made a film in 64. They made a film in 65. And yet they had two albums in 1965 that, with the exception of Back Naturally, it
2: was all original. And Dizzy Miss Lizzie.
0: And this, I'm sorry. And there you go. So what's the difference?
2: Well, they were getting better at, at producing songs quickly, you know, and maybe they just didn't, they just hadn't had the machinery cranked up quite so, so much by the time of Beatles for sale. I mean, this is, this is one of the insights from Mark's book that um, I've, I've had some trouble with, but I can see in a way, the proof of it on Beatles for sale you know Mark we we always thought about the Beatles as you know incredible songwriters and always bought the story about how they had a a notebook with a hundred songs in it before they were even signed but you know Mark Lewison in, in his book sort of talks about how they were not initially uh, songwriters primarily they were much more of a cover band and the songwriting thing came later and they very reluctantly did it publicly and Um, I think what we're seeing with Beatles for Sale and the decision to go back to covers for a lot of it is that the the songwriting machinery at the level they had to do it hadn't really cranked up fully. I mean, apart from the fact that there are six covers, you know, I'll Follow the Sun goes back to 1960 at least. Oh, before that. Yeah, before that, (laughs) so you know, so they're not only bringing in the covers, but it's like if we got any of the really old ones that we can turn into a feasible song now, and that's that—that's what they had. Of course, that you know, you could say that about when I'm sixty-four, and it's not as if Sergeant Pepper was a, you know, fallow period.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, very interesting, right there. And you know, I like to bring this up, and of course, it's all conjecture. It always fascinates me what songs the Beatles chose to cover. Because just when you witness all the songs they did on BBC Radio that they covered, they could have picked any of those other songs that they didn't release for EMI. I mean, they had all those songs in their arsenal, and yet they picked these particular songs. So mm-hmm. I always wonder why these were the ones that were
2: chosen.
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah. All right. So any further thoughts about the album? No. I don't think so. I mean I when I listened to it um, yesterday I, I I actually liked it a lot more than other times. Um, I, I have one question for you though okay um, okay if you' if if you were ranking the Beatles albums and something has to be at the top and something has to be at the bottom, where would you put Beatles for sale and what would you put below it? That's really
0: tough because I think of every Beatles album as being great of course. or near great. So it's like ranking every Beatles album a 10, except there might be a 9 in there. <laughs> you know, it's like that's a sin. You know, I mean, do you, do you consider Yellow Submarine to be a Beatles album with hmm. half George Martin music? Hmm. And yeah, only is- four new songs, really? That's true. You know?
2: That's true. But that's and a movie soundtrack, so you, you have sort of like a built in asterisk excuse, you know? Okay. Do you consider Magical Mystery Tour really an album? Mm-hmm.
0: You do? Yeah, I think okay. so. Okay. All right. Um, it's, it's really tough. <laughs> it's it is. very tough. I abstain. <laughs> <laughs> really? It's, it's too tough. Maybe this one, probably, uh, I guess. But that's no sin. You know because <laughs> they're all great as far as I'm concerned mm-hmm. but um, sometimes it kind of bothers me when when people think that just because they went back to doing covers it has to be
2: weaker yeah. and that's not necessarily the case because their covers were so strong you know what it's like Ken, to 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 segue into my other life a little bit someone comes to you with with Beethoven's third fifth seventh and ninth symphonies and says mm. which is the worst <laughs> you just can't. You just can't pick one, right? Hmm. Well, good point. I, I
1: don't. I, I, I mean, off of what you just said, Ken, I, I don't think it's the covers that hurt this album at all. I the covers actually are, are really good. I think it's the some of the originals that um, that bring this album down. If it, if you're going to bring it down at all, but what uh,
0: originals do you have a problem with?
1: Well, I I I'll, I'll change that and say uh, I don't like. I already said I don't like Mr. Moonlight, but uh, I mean some of the some of the originals. Uh, I don't think I, I'm a loser is the strongest song on the album. I think it's a good song. Uh-huh. I don't think like it's strong. I don't think it's the strongest. I don't think I'll follow the sun is strongest. And I already and I and I said I I thought eight days a week was kind of under. I don't want to spoil the party. That doesn't mean it's it's a weak song, but I, I think it's I think it's the the. The Lennon and McCartney songs that kind of, because this is they aren't as, this is not uh, you know Abbey Road or or Sergeant Pepper. It's not. No, That's, but for
0: this, its time and seeing how they changed and evolved and grew a bit, it's it's fascinating and they're still good songs, good to great as far as I'm concerned.
1: Well, I think they're good. I think I think good is is probably the word. I don't know that great is the word I would use for every song in this album, but. But, in any event, uh, uh, you know, they were as as I said, they were growing and progressing and and it they were making they were making some changes. And with changes, sometimes they work, sometimes they don't. And you know, from here on, you know we know what happened next and and they took off. I mean, they really took off after you know, in the years after this. So
0: it's kind of interesting to me that, uh, as we all know, the Beatles looked at singles and albums as separate entities even though A Hard Day's Night and Help had singles from the albums. But the Beatles themselves never looked at eight days a week as being a single. you know. And it, it was a single here, and obviously people mm-hmm. loved it. It went to number one. So their judgment of the songs may not have been well, absolutely perfect, but then at the same time they had I Feel Fine to contend with. So
2: right. that, that said, according to Derek Taylor's note – the th- other, three other songs were considered as singles, and that was Eight Days a Week, No Reply, and I'm a Loser, before John came up with I Feel Fine. Um, so, yeah, I I agree with you about Eight Days a Week, and in fact, I was going to say that, you know, in, in interviews towards the end of his life, when he would go over all of the songs, you know, in various, you know, like the Playboy interview, et cetera, um, yeah. John always sort of downplayed eight days a week, you know, yeah, this is an example of craft, you know, it's not, I love eight days a week. I think that is a spectacular song. I love the fading intro. I love the sound of the guitars. I love the vocal harmonies. And then when the outtakes came out on Anthology, I thought those were great too. I, 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 I couldn't figure out how they decided which approach to take because they were both incredible. You know the the vocal harmonies at the beginning instead of the guitar fade in, for instance. I just, I mean, okay, it's it's not a day in the life, but I just love that song. How many songs are a day in the life? So, <laughs> <That's right.
0: laughs>
1: hmm.
0: yeah, but uh, I mean, that's the beauty of you know, in studying this catalog. It's my opinion that the Beatles could have released far more singles than they did. <laughs> You know, and they could have done well, you know, but there was that avalanche in the first half of 1964 in America because we were catching up with the last year and a half. Right. And so all these other songs were coming out, and then they had to just kind of slow down and only release singles as they were coming out in the UK. And, of course, there were the exceptions here in America, like Eight Days a Week and Nowhere Man was a single here, mm-hmm. but... Um, you know, you could have picked so many of these album cuts and they could have been hits. And I really think I'm a loser was... I think that's one of the best songs on the album, Steve. But I think that could have been a single. But I'm sure a lot of people listening could say, oh, you know, rock and roll music could have been a single. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no Reply could have been a single. Um, at first, Paul thought that every little thing possibly could be a single. And then Brian, Brian Epstein, thought that it wasn't strong enough. Hmm. So... um, at least that's what's in um many years from now so uh yeah but it's still fascinating to study and um you know even if you want to consider this there the bottom of the barrel it's still a great album
1: <laughs> well i didn't no I, I would not consider it the bottom of the barrel uh but like i said i think the i'll stand by what i said about they were going through changes and and that's what this was so okay.
0: well since since alan put me on the spot steve
1: yes what you consider to be their their weakest album <laughs> Ooh, that's 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 nasty um <laughs> one good turn yeah really gosh that's hard that's really that's a tough one i don't know maybe maybe this is the weakest album Maybe this is the weakest album, Um, but again, I mean, you know, it's it's uh, to 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 say it's a weak album is really taking the whole thing out of context. I mean, because I didn't say that. No, I'm saying I'm saying I'm saying to to for me to if I have you know if I call that a weak album that that has a double meaning, and like I said, I think I'm I'm looking at it as an experimental album. I mean, if if you want to, if you really want a weak album, I guess "Let It Be" is probably weak, you know. Compared, to, this is uh, this is stronger than "Let It Be," no doubt. But so, is it, is it
2: stronger than "Get Back," the Glen Johns no, version?
1: <laughs> no, no, it's not. And I and I'm still, and I've you know I've said this before, that that is what they should have put out, you know. Uh, but
0: I think yeah, this, I mean, this is. Uh... Room for another show. <laughs> <Do> you, <laughs> this do you think, all
1: right, I'm going to hit you back with one. Do you think this is stronger than the? This is uh, is Let It Be is stronger than this. Yes. Okay. Okay.
0: I do. I mean, uh, the only song on Let It Be that I don't really care for. I mean, not counting Maggie Mae and Dig It, you know, and all that. But I've I've never been a huge fan of Dig a Pony. Hmm. Okay. But all the other songs are just wonderful on there. You know, okay. uh, you can't top Let It Be and The Long and Winding Road and Two of Us. And those are all really great songs across the universe. And I love the Phil Spector version of it, too. I'll hmm. let it be. But anyway, <laughs> that about wraps things up. We'll we'll have to reserve uh, this conversation for another show. OK. OK. So why don't we uh, give our folks our contact
2: information, beginning with Alan. You can reach me on Facebook at either Alan Cozen or Alan Cozen Remixed. Okay.
1: Short and sweet. Mm-hmm. Steve? Beatles Examiner at gmail.com is my email address. Uh, I have a, a Beatles group called Beatles News and Information, and you can get to the show. You can send your comments, nasty letters, and whatever to uh, things we said today, Show at gmail.com. We have a Facebook page. Things we said today, Beatles radio fans. You can find the show uh, for download on Podbean and on iTunes. You can stream it on YouTube. We're all over the place, and the YouTube page has a playlist where you can easily take a listen to all our all the interviews we've done, including the the Elliot Mintz interview that was our last show that we got a lot of compliments for and we thank you all for that yes um, believe me uh, we were we were very very happy with that show uh, we, we thought we that show was just it, it was really a, a, a great uh, talk and uh, and uh, somebody suggested we should get him back and believe me we, we are that has not uh, that is a suggestion we will definitely consider we um, certainly hope to I certainly hope to. Um, anyway, that's how you can get a hold of me. I think I think I got I think I hit everything there. Ken. Um, did you give our email address? Yes, things we said today, radio show at gmail dot com.
0: Okay. As for me, uh, you can always email me at every little thing at att.net. dot On my website, Kenmichaelsradio.com, uh, I'm now giving away that brand new tribute C D to George Harrison from Randy Bachman called by George by Bachman. You can win it two ways in my latest special contest, and it's also one of nine prizes that you can win as part of my weekly Beatles trivia. I also want to mention that there's another Beatles podcast show called Two Legs, which is all solo Paul McCartney in the show. Tom Hunyadi and David Gargalino are the co-hosts of that show and I was on a recent broadcast of that program, and also Kid O'Toole joined us, and we talked about Paul's Pipes of Peace album, which was a very big album for Kit. It was uh, through that album that she started to become a Beatle fan because actually from, from hearing Paul's music with Michael Jackson. And then uh, she started buying Paul's solo music and that was the first album that she bought, solo-wise from Paul. So if you want to hear that show, it's also on Podbean, podbean.com and the name search just type in Paul McCartney. And it will show the program two legs, and we're going to be in either the newest one or next to newest one. All right? And uh, so that's about it. This has been a fantastic show. I want to thank everybody for listening. And for Steve Marinucci and Alan Cozen. this is Ken Michaels, again, saying thanks so much for tuning in. And we will see you next time.